welcome to Board Game Famous, the mostly cooperative board game podcast. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. We start this episode, as always, with, hey, Michael, what you been playing? I'm skipping all the banter. Normally, there's a little banter section. Well, the last episode we released was kind of long, so skip the banter, get to the board games. That's what people are here for, right? Right? (laughs) (laughs) Now, I've been playing a a few games, but there's only a couple that I want to talk about during this section. And the first one I'm just going to mention very briefly because I haven't played it enough to form a concrete opinion of it. And that is the game Oath from Leader Games, designed by Cole Whirl. Yeah, he does a lot of he does a lot of leader game stuff. And the reason I say that I can't give opinion about it is uh, I've only played it once, and this is a a campaign light style game where how you play previous games may affect future games, but not in a very significant way like a standard legacy where you're modifying the boards, modifying the rules, and all that kind of stuff. That's so there's no there's no stickers. You're not tearing up cards. No, you're not you're not doing that. But we played it for the first time and we had a very similar experience the first time where where we played Root where we troubled getting a hang of all the rules <laughs> the first time around. <laughs> and we definitely didn't play a, some of the things correctly. Uh and some of you out there may say that oh hey, there's a nice four player walkthrough guide thing that you can do well uh that's not helpful if you want to play with six people (laughs) (laughs) yeah this doesn't help whenever the walkthrough is designed for four people nothing but four people and only four people (laughs) so um we had to stumble through setup a little bit we then stumbled through the rules a little bit for well more like three three and a half hours and at this point i started getting a hand of some of the mechanisms and how how they interact uh this is a it's it's like a war game where one person is in charge of the kingdom and everyone else is in exile trying to either usurp the person in charge or they can draw separate goals and try to achieve those goals and so there's a lot of different mechanics that interact as you're trying to vie for control in those different ways and i started to get a hang of it then the game ended. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I've always had a problem with leader games because their rule books are not the best. There's always edge cases because their games are so complex with all those interlocking mechanisms. Most of their games, everybody plays differently. But I keep coming back to them because they're so good. They are worth that struggle. Did you feel like that was going to be the case for Oath once you started getting a hang of it? Hang of it? I think at least... A couple of us who played it are really excited to play it again. In my group chat with some of these friends, we definitely were talking about, oh, this is how we did this wrong. Oh, here are some basic strategies that everybody that I'm just everybody should know for future games. <laughs> just we're passing and discussing it and all that kind of stuff, and you know, replaying our game. So the fact that we had some vibrant conversation after the game definitely makes us want to play it again my only suggestion suggestion to other people is i would not recommend this with six players i would recommend it with three to five uh once you get up to you the max player count of six the amount of time you're just sitting there and waiting for your turn just gets to be a lot 
and I think it runs a lot smoother with, you know, the three to five player count with probably four being the best. Yeah, and you could probably do that walkthrough. <laughs> you could probably actually do the walkthrough, but we had enough people who were interested in... And, oh, and this is not a legacy game, so it doesn't really matter who plays each time. Uh, you basically, after you play a game, there are some cards that you'll set aside for how you will set up the next game. Okay. And that's that's what's important. The other game that I'd like to talk about is Iberian Gage, which is the second or third in the Iron Rail trilogy. I want to say second. Yeah, which is Irish Gage, Iberian Gage, and Ride the Rails. Yeah, they dropped which, the gauge <laughs> for the third they one. They just dropped the gauge. Uh, I believe the U.S. was using two different gauges at that time, but that's uh, for trained nerds to message us and tell us that we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> if there's ever going to be someone to tell you that you're wrong, it's a train nerd. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't worry. We still love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but so it's one of those three and it is an 18 XX light style game. And for those of you who know what that means, that means something. And for those of you who don't, I'm not going to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, that's rude. 18 no, no, X. I, I, <laughs> I I can't I can't I can't. It is, <laughs> it is, and I think shut up and sit down said it best. Most train games are about capitalism and not actually about trains. Uh, oh yes, it's very true. It is, it is a uh, demonstration of capitalism. You are not playing as train companies. You are playing as businessmen investing in train companies. And if you invest in a train company, then you can influence that train company to do specific actions. But you are not the train company itself. You can usually invest in multiple train companies, so you have interest in how multiple companies perform. Usually the goal is to be the richest at the end of the game. So, And that's exactly what this one is. I like this one. I like how quick and easy this game is. Compared to an 18xx, which is an actual genre of game from which publisher? I'm, you know, I'm not sure it's actually one publisher. I think there was a set of rules. And when we say 18xx, it's because those XXs stand for years or letters of states. Because I think the first one was like 1848 or something like that. And then there's been 1836, 1860. The year, the, the great rise of trains... Throughout the world. Exactly. It's a series of games that has generally similar style rules of capitalism investing in uh, train companies and trying to improve those companies so that you can make as much money as possible. That's just the general idea. Uh, those are known to be a little bit longer, three to four hours, whereas these Iron Rail games are a lot closer to 90 minutes. So they're, they're a lot easier a lot more approachable and that's and that was very interesting and i think this is probably one of my favorite of the three um okay because i know you've played all three i have played all three this is probably my favorite of the three i like the way that you resolve the build actions where you resolve from top to bottom of stocks so the first person to invest in a company gets to take the first action, then the second person to invest in a company takes the next action in the company, and so on and so forth, and you go to the next 
company, then you go to the next company, then you go to the next company, so on and so forth. So it just resolves from top to bottom. It makes it nice and smooth. Okay. Um, something really funny happened in this this past game. My friend and I were investing in the same companies at roughly the same time without realizing it until about halfway through the game <laughs> when we realized that we had exactly the same money and that we were just going to end up with exactly the same money at the end of the game because we ran out of we ran out of stock so no one else could invest in any, in any more companies <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, there was no there was no spoken collusion but once we figured it out it was kind of not fair to the uh the other people which was like oh i can see that x player has the most money so and he has two shares in this company so if we tank that company <laughs> and then improve this one it was yeah yeah so that that was ended up ended up being pretty funny yeah, no, nothing like some good old trend capitalism in building trains going across <laughs> across the country. Train games, man. It's its own genre in the board gaming hobby. Like the train game we're going to talk about later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David, what have you been playing? Well, I just got done with another convention. Just got back from Moon City Con. Shout out to uh, Rick who put on Moon City Con for us. He's a person in the new... He's He's one of the kind of the head guy at the new board game group I've been going to. He and a group of people put on Moon City Con for the 417 Gamers area. It's the uh, area code that I now live in. And it was great to uh, great to go to a second convention for the year. Southwest Missouri, uh, just to save you guys a Google. So. <laughs> <laughs> 417 is Southwest Missouri. <laughs> so... We did the Geekway recap a couple episodes ago, but that was a lot of talking on my part, so I just wanted to talk about a few games here. Um, The main one being The Initiative. And the reason I wanted to talk about The Initiative is I was pretty harsh on Voices in My Head, designed by Corey Kineska and published by Unexpected Games. And The Initiative is the other game from that company designed by Corey Kaneska and published by Unexpected Games. That's out so far. That's out so far. Unexpected Games is all about bringing new, fresh concepts. And I had had mentioned this during my, my review of Voices in My Head, but I mentioned that not everything new and fresh is going to be good. And I, I really didn't like voices in my head. I think I out of 10, I might rate that a 2. A 2 out of 10. Really hated it. The Initiative is a cooperative deduction game that is for... It's more of a family weight game, so I'm not going to... I don't absolutely love this game. Did, you play, with your fam- did, you, did you play it with your family? I did. I played with Ellen and Nate, our youngest brother who is 20 years old, and I think the age range on this might be 13-ish. So... 13 plus, not... (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, 13 plus. It's not like like I was breaking the law checking this game out. (laughs) So we got got to play the initiative, and it it is a game where you have four actions uh, that you can take. You take an action by playing a card from your hand, Each card has a number on it. 
And you play, you can only play a card to an action if you are playing a higher number than the previously played number on that action. And your actions are move, or reveal symbols across the map, or pick up symbols in a room that you're in. And then the fourth and final action is remove all the cards and tokens from one of the other three actions. So you can reset the count on most of the actions. You just can't reset the count on reset the count action. <laughs> so you have to you have to play your cards wisely to move around the room and you're picking up these symbols. And as you pick up these symbols, there's a card that has been slotted away with these strange symbols on it. And you flip up the symbols that you find and it tells you what what letter in the alphabet that corresponds to, and you're trying to figure out the passphrase to win the game. And this is another campaign-style game, whereas once you know the passphrase for the first mission, you've, you're pretty much done. But we had a really good time with this one. The, the playing cards to take an action and, and trying not to play too high of a card so the next person who might need to take that action is stuck is is really clever it, i found it was really good and the 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 only thing i mentioned about this is it really is kind of for that that younger audience this is a great game to play if you have kids that are around that beginning uh age because for the first mission we found one symbol we flipped up one letter and we knew what the passphrase was <laughs> so like we weren't What's the password? <laughs> we we weren't a hundred percent sure, so like let's keep playing, but I think we know what this is already. I mean it also doesn't help that you're all a bunch of nerds. It does it so. doesn't help that we're a bunch of nerds. Something that I will mention is the initiative has it's a campaign style game, so there's a story there. And it's an interesting story. It's very meta because you play your characters are kids playing the game that everybody's actually physically playing as the board game. So there's a comic book style in the rule book that goes through the story and it shows your characters finding this game in a garage sale and some shady character sees you riding off with this this strange board game. Oh, what could it be? It's all about codes and and mystery and you're supposed to crack that code. And it's a little bit campy, but it's fun. I just wanted to give this shout shout out to Unexpected Games because I gave them such a harsh review on the on the first game that I played by them. But uh, yeah, we we definitely appreciate the philosophy of this company, and I'm glad that it sounds like they made a game that's actually something you would recommend to somebody. Yes, so. oh, I would I would definitely recommend this. But like I said, for families that have maybe younger teenagers uh, to get into this would be a good game for family game night the the artwork was great it was it was a it was a fun play and honestly I'd like to see another game with that main mechanism of playing cards down to the table and activating actions but the number that you play there might hinder hinder somebody else it was an interesting unique mechanism and while I might have hated voices in my head the central mechanism of the initiative was really good, and I would love to see another game like that. Hopefully it gets copied in the future. And now it's time for a new segment called 
games I thought were in the top 100, but really aren't, and are actually going to be our game of the fortnight. <laughs> and this fortnight, Michael and I are going to be discussing Fury of Dracula. Designed by Frank Brooks, Stephen Hand, Kevin Wilson. Published by, well, depending on which version that you're playing, WizKids is the edition that's currently out, but uh, you might see it also done by Fantasy Flight Games prior to that for the third edition. But yep. they're the, pretty much the same game. So, David, you've played this the most recent. How about you describe it? I have. On Fury of Dracula, players take most players take on vampire hunters, and they're tracking down Dracula. This is a one-versus-all game, so one player plays that conniving little demon from hell. That that lovable scamp, Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our, fa- our favorite fanged friend. <laughs> uh, so this is a hidden movement game where Dracula is just traipsing across Europe. I think it's Europe. It, it, yeah, it's Europe. It, 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 it is Europe. Where, where Dracula is traipsing across Europe and four vampire hunters are trying to find him. And no matter how many people are playing, there are always four vampire hunters moving across the map. And they're trying to enter cities that Dracula might have been to, because he has got he leaves a little trail. And if any, any vampire hunter enters a city that Dracula was in, he flips that card face up in the path that Dracula has taken. So you know how long ago Dracula had been there, and you're trying to follow the paths from there to narrow down where Dracula has been. And these vampire hunters want to meet up in the city where Dracula currently is and then beat him down. And Dracula just wants to live, live long enough in peace. He doesn't want to hurt nobody except make maybe a giant vampire army. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you, are you making it sound like Dracula's the good guy? (laughs) (laughs) I promise I didn't play Dracula (laughs) when I played As David said, this is a hidden movement game. So everyone's pawn is on the board except for Dracula. The players get to sit around and communicate and theorize and all this as they take their turns running across Europe, taking trains or taking roads to other towns to try to figure out where this guy is and running into obstacles as they are in the other towns. Whereas the player playing Dracula sits at one end of the table, giggling, smiling, <laughs> conniving, playing cards. And in like most hidden, uh, hidden movement games, the person who is hidden has some special abilities that allow them to do some trickier things that, that you know, may throw, try to throw them off the scent of where they are. I like the way that these cards get played down in Fury of Dracula, that they'll eventually get revealed and you, you'll figure stuff out. But, you know, you might be laying traps for, for further down the line, uh, which, is always, <laughs> which is always funny. <laughs> this game has what, it, what feels to me multiple phases. I wouldn't say that the hunters necessarily want to find Dracula immediately, because if they find Dracula... Dracula they're pretty weak to begin with, and they might not survive, and so they're running around. Yes, they want to know where, where he is, but they don't want to be by themselves finding, finding Dracula. 
uh, and getting their butt beaten. But eventually, when whenever they might collect some items or some other things, <laughs> then they move move into the actual hunting phase. So it's like kind of like a you know a reconnaissance phase where you're just looking around, trying not to get into too much trouble uh, in the neighborhood. <laughs> and uh, then finally, whenever you get to a certain point, that's whenever you try to beat down beat down Dracula. And at the same time, Dracula's trying to whittle down these hunters slowly, slowly, trying to make them weaker and weaker And before he, the, he might move in and strike. Mm-hmm. So Dracula wins by spreading influence across the... Uh, across the land. And some of the ways he gains that influence is uh, every time he visits a location, he may play an event card face down as well. And if you're in a city where Dracula has been, Dracula can either choose to reveal that event, which might be a trap that Dracula laid for you, or leave that event face down, forcing you to spend one of your precious actions to, to interact with it. Because if I had to describe this game in one word, it would be frustrating. Because you can only do so much on your turn. You need to move around the map, but you can only move around the map one time, one, one time per, per, per day. And you need to gather stuff so you can do the search action. But if you search... If you search at night, you might be giving Dracula powerful action cards. You don't know what you're going to find. And that, that interaction with those cards is crucial because if you let those cards slide off, Dracula might be getting a lot of influence, so you need to interact with them. But if you don't do that, you're not searching and you're not moving. You can't do everything, and so you have to balance your options and communicate. It's pretty fun. Pretty fun. So in Fury of Dracula... Players are working together to find and destroy Dracula. And they do this by moving around the map, gathering train tickets to take the train, because like Michael said, this is in fact a train game. And train just helps move characters move farther. So you can either walk on, you can either move on the roads or move on the train. You're searching the towns that you're in to try and gather items and weapons that will help you fight Dracula or give you special actions that you can take. When you search... They're, you're searching a deck of cards that either has good cards for you or good cards for Dracula. Now, you get to take two actions during your turn. One during the day, and then one during the night. If you take a, turn, if you take a search during the day, you draw a card off the top of the deck. If it's a Dracula card, you actually just discard it. But if you search during the night, you draw off the bottom of the deck. And if it's a Dracula card, it goes into Dracula's hand and it gives him something special. It gives, it gives the Dracula player something powerful to do. Something that'll really mess up your turns. Eventually, you'll, you'll be beefed up enough with all these action cards that you've searched for. And you'll want to track down Dracula. And you'll end up in the same spot that Dracula is in. There's a rock-paper-scissors mechanism to fight Dracula with. Because every card or every weapon that you have has certain symbols on them. And you want to play a card. It, it, during combat, both Dracula and players play a card. And when you flip them over, if you have a symbol that matches Dracula's, you cancel his card out. And you get to do some powerful action. And it's that flip and reveal phase that, uh, that Michael was talking about, what you want to gather, gather weapons for, make sure you're prepared to fight Dracula. It adds like a nice bluffing 
mechanic to the actual combat, which I think is pretty funny. So, Michael, what was your favorite part of Fury of Dracula? Uh, I think my favorite part about Fury of Dracula is, even though the cards that you may reveal may be bad for you it can be kind of hilarious you know whenever you get like vampire spawn or something like that (laughs) popping up i would say that i have played a handful of hidden movement games like specter ops or nuns on the run i have found specter ops and nuns on the run frustrating in a way that i did not find Fury of Dracula, frustrating, where even when bad stuff happens to me in Fury of Dracula, I always find it funny, and I still, I I find persevering through that frustration that you were talking about earlier fun, and eventually getting enough resources together where you feel confident as a team to start chasing him down, and you haven't quite tracked him down yet. And you have an idea that he's probably somewhere in France or something like that. And he may have gone south or to the southwest. And you're trying to cut him off. And so you send a couple of guys over here. <laughs> and then whenever you find him, you're all going to try to run in there and punch the heck out of Dracula. <laughs> so where the hunter becomes the hunted. I think, I think that has a nice transition point as compared to um, other hidden movement games. Mm-hmm. I I don't have enough plays of this game under my belt to have quite the appreciation of the game that you might have. I'm fairly good at deduction games, so I was really good at finding Dracula. But my main frustration with this game is how hard it is to move. You can move one time per day, and it's usually one, maybe two spaces that you're going to move. Because if you have a train ticket... Sure, you can you can move a couple spaces by train, but one of those powerful Dracula cards is Dracula chooses where you move when you take the train, and that <laughs> which is I th- which I think is hilarious because I'd like to think that Dracula is actually the train conductor. <laughs> right, right. We were we were making fun of this game because there was another one. There's another card that Dracula has where he he uh, the Dracula player played a card and set up roadblocks around a city. I was like, does does Dracula just have a pal on the city local government? Like, no, nah, close the roads. Dracula said so. <laughs> no, Dracula's in the woods just cutting down trees. <laughs> ah, okay. It, the card, the flavor text on the card made it sound like uh, he had a friend in the local government. <laughs> it's interesting that you say that you dislike the slow movement, because even with the slow movement, I think that this game is pretty well paced. Maybe it's just too long of a deduction game for me. And here's another frustration that I had. I was really good at finding Dracula's trail. One of the event cards that we he kept putting down was, and I keep saying he because our Dracula was a he. Women can play board games too. Hashtag feminism. Hashtag women Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag women can be Dracula too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, one of the one of the cards that Dracula kept putting down it was arch vampire or something like that he summoned a vampire there and if it slid off the board dracula would gain four influence four influence which is about a third of what dracula needed and i kept finding those cards and to get rid of them i had to sacrifice one of my few precious actions to to remove that card from the board 
So I think I, along with that plotting movement, that slow movement, I had to give up a turn to to remove that from the board, and it was it was huge. I did it. I did. I found those cards three times. So if I hadn't if I hadn't given up my turns, Dracula would have won like a third of the way through the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that goes back to the the give and take of of uh, a lot of these cooperative games where you can't do everything, and those limitations is is what make cooperative games fun. So because maybe you make us you make a sacrifice such that other players can benefit or the the team the team can benefit and maybe i would have enjoyed it more if i wasn't the only person sacrificing <laughs> i guess that's fair the other problem i had with fury of dracula was the combat you mentioned that you liked the bluffing and, and the try and second guessing um i think i would have enjoyed that more if i knew what dracula's cards looked like and i think it's fair for players to look through Dracula's combat deck before the game starts. Because players are supposed to be expert vampire hunters. I'm supposed to know what tricks he might have up his sleeve. But if I'm just David going was in... Per David was personally Van Helsing. <laughs> I, I was not Van Helsing. I was, I was that one spooky lady I sent a picture in our Game Guesser chat. Oh, okay. That, that's who I was playing. <laughs> Shout out to our Discord. <laughs> Hopefully the link will actually work this time. <laughs> Let us know if it doesn't, Scott. <laughs> Let us know if it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, so I feel I feel like I deserve to know what was in that deck. Apparently a expert vampire hunter just going in blind to combat doesn't work out for the vampire hunter very often. <laughs> and we just... We did not do well against Dracula. But I found Dracula... Three or four times, but I wasn't prepared because I had to give up three actions to get rid of those vampires off the board. And and that's the whole thing about Dracula is you know the you know that the hunters have to be prepared, and so you can whittle them down bit by bit. But that brings that brings up a good point of you know maybe there should be some things that you should teach at the beginning to make it easier for first timers. Mm -hmm. I think if I was more aware of the game mechanisms, I would have done better. And I think I was so frustrated because I cared so much. Like, the game makes you care about finding Dracula. The, yes. theme, the theme is well done. The, the production is nice. And I, I, could, I could see the well-thought-out design decisions. Like, I don't think this is a bad game. I talked about being really annoyed that Dracula would pl play that uh, train card to make you uh, make you go off in the other direction. Well, how did Dracula get that train card? You searched during the night. You gave yeah. Dracula that card. <laughs> you took the risk. You took the risk. So it's it's well done, but I just wasn't. Oh, I took the risk, but I wasn't aware of the consequences of my decision. <laughs> Did you play with a group of people who had never played before? Dracula had played before, and then one of the hunters had played before. And I think the okay. other three were new people. Okay, yeah, that, that might be something. Just, you know, for future. Yeah, I Just think this saying. is one of those games that you need to play more than once before you have a definitive opinion on it. Well, in that vein, do you want to hold off on whether or not you want to give it a gold star then? It's, you I want to skip do. that section? 
I, I do okay. want to hold off on, uh, for me, I will not give it the board. I'm going to reserve judgment on uh, giving it the gold star. Uh, in the future episode, I may I may retroactively award it. Okay. All right, we're going to set a timer. Um, I don't know, a year. Well, let's meet back here a year from now. <laughs> let's, let's meet here a year from now. <laughs> I will also reserve judgment because I just think it'll be interesting if we give our opinion at the same time. And Ooh. I'll try to get a couple more couple more plays in between now and you know june 6th 2023 (laughs) (laughs) d-day so i might i might try and play fury of dracula fury of dracula again around halloween i think that would be that'd be fun spooky Mm -hmm. and just as a last note my friends and i joke about having a train themed board gaming day where we play games that are related to trains because it would be super easy uh, <laughs> uh, you know, playing games like Railroad Inc. You know, a train rolling right. <laughs> play an 18xx game, or play one of the Iron Rails game. Play Fury of Dracula. That's a train game. <laughs> <laughs> you can play uh, Baron Park with the expansion. That's got a sky oh, train. I have played Baron Park with the expansion. That's that's a train game, right? <laughs> that's a, that's a train game. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and that's oh, how, man. and that's how this game of the Fortnite ends. No, no gold star awarded. Talking about Baron Park. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking about how Fury of Dracula needs multiple plays to fully appreciate it, it's time for our next segment, which is Brother Talk, where we talk about whatever we want. And this time, I wanted to talk about games that got better for us over multiple plays. I mean, it was kind of funny because you mentioned it earlier, and because my answer is Root by Leader Games, I, I mentioned about how at the end of Oath, I was starting to get hold of the mechanics and getting a little bit more comfortable with that. I cannot say the same for Root the first time I played it. First time I played Root, which is another war game like kind of game, and I've discussed it a couple times where you're different woodland creatures with asymmetrical powers vying for control. You know, different kinds of goals. I did not did not have a uh, a good good handle on what the hell was going on, <laughs> and, and did not play that game again for a while afterwards. But in the past couple of years, I have played it several times. As the expansions come out, I'm like, all right, new shiny box. Friend got a new shiny box. Let's play this again. And I think I have grown to appreciate the game more and more every single time I've played it. Not because, I don't think because of the factions that have been added. I just, I think each time I start to understand the base kind of concepts. There are general concepts that seem pretty consistent from the different factions, even though they play a lot different. And as I start to realize what these are, I think I appreciate it more. To the point where I was actually just watching a guy who plays root on steam play some competitive games just for fun <laughs> I was like, oh oh all right now i guess i like this game a lot more <laughs> so that that is an example of a game that got better for you because it was a complicated game but you started to learn the rules is there a more simple game that you that you like understood pretty quickly but have grown to appreciate over time if you don't have an example, I can give an example. No, I don't have an example. If you say it, I might, it might spur my thoughts. Because my example is Azul. <laughs> I mean, Azul was... When I first played it, 
I thought it was fine. It's okay. That's all right. Maybe not the uh, amazing game that most people seem to think it is. I have grown to appreciate it more. Um, it's one of those games that pretty much anybody will play. So it's really easy to get it to the table and playing it over and over and over. Maybe it's Stockholm Syndrome that I have. Maybe it didn't get better. <laughs> but but who captured you? <laughs> so I've just I've just played this game more and more. It's I appreciate it because it is simple, but that simplicity brings people together. It's a game I can play with my grandma. Not your grandma, because I have a grandma through marriage. I was going to say, all of our grandmas on our side are dead. So. Mm. <laughs> mm. Way, to bring this, way to bring this light board game podcast down. <laughs> uh, another game that I really didn't care for at first was Dice Forge. Uh, I had played it a few times, but that's a game about rolling dice and really isn't really isn't for me. The first time I played this, I played this with, uh, I believe it was listener Dakota, who played this game with, who introduced me to this game. Shout out to Dakota. And I mean, I don't know why he wanted me to play it. He misjudged me all wrong. I'm not about lucky dice rolls. And I think I just had the wrong mindset for this game the first time I played it. And then I got frustrated when the dice that I was rolling, the die faces that I was rolling weren't showing up. And I just, I wrote it off. Eventually, Ellen won this game uh, at a board game convention. So we've owned it for a number of years now. And I knew Ellen would like it, so I played it with her. And it's, I've grown to appreciate it. It's really good. I've changed my mind. I realized I was wrong. So sorry, Dakota, if I was really surly after our first game. He's still not going to play with you. <laughs> <laughs> All I can think about is simple games that I still know that I don't like. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, in that, in that line of thought, then, how many plays do you think it takes to solidify your opinion on a game? If you don't enjoy a game, you might not be in the right mindset, so it might be best for you to take a step back and approach it a different time. Whenever, you know, you've slept some, it's been a while, and you, you have a completely different mindset. That was me with Blood Rage. I didn't play it for a year and a half. Then I played Eric M. Wang's other two games in his mythological series. And I played Blood Rage again, and I'm like, yep, still hate Blood Rage. Still think <laughs> Onk. I really like Onk. Need to play Rising Sun again. So, <laughs> But yeah, I think, I, don't, I think it's, you know, it's... Number of plays, if it's a complex game, to see if you didn't get a hang of it. And it's also, you know, mindset. Sometimes you don't enjoy something, not because of the game, but just because you're in the wrong mindset. And uh, it's always that's always something to recognize, that, you know, board games are meant to be fun. And you uh, sometimes you are the obstacle to yourself having fun. Mm -hmm. And so... so you might have to take a step back and realize, was it actually a bad game or was it just me? <laughs> <laughs> so so what, what gets you to keep coming back to games that you may not have enjoyed at first to see if they got better for you? What, what keeps you coming back to these games? I'm a social gamer, it's the people. I, will, I am very willing to play almost any game... Because I like playing games with people. 
Mm-hmm. I say almost any game. If someone asks me to play Munchkins, I will politely decline and leave. So. <laughs> <laughs> Woof. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is funny because I played that a lot whenever I was younger, but I, I have reached my limit. I think... I think what brings me back to games is seeing someone excited about a game, bringing it to table, and I will say, I will put aside my judgment, and I will play this game, because if it brings you happiness, playing with people is the best part about playing board games. So, well, I like uh, board games more than I like video games, because we're sitting around the table together. People is the reason why I give games another try. Okay. I'm surprised you only had one example of a game that got better for you. I had two. Another game that got better for me is the game I was showing you before we started recording, which is uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak. I played this one first at the Aw Shucks game convention. Uh, Shut Up and Sit Down hosted an online game convention hosted an online game convention during the ravages of COVID. Their their original I really like their their online convention because their original convention is Shucks the Shucks Expo, S H U X. When it got canceled because of COVID, they had an online convention called Aw Shucks, yeah. and uh, they had they had representatives from board game companies come in and teach their games. So I got to play an online session of Lost Ruins of Arnak, and it was it was okay it was all right. Um, but it came out around the same time as Dune Imperium, and I love Dune Imperium. Well, at Moon City Con, there was a copy of Lost Ruins for the play and win. And I was like, you know what? I'll give it another shot. I mean, I know how to play this one. It's super easy for me to teach. Let's try it again. And, and it was worth it. So I'm, I'm wondering if I need to play games even more often now to give them a second shot. I still don't want to go back to voices in my head. <laughs> Maybe, maybe uh, I was in the wrong frame of mind for that one, but not enough time has passed. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe oh. if that one grows on me, it will be the biggest growth a game has done. <laughs> All right, and the final segment of this is Letters from Listeners. Ooh, I like the rename. I just actually can't remember the name of anything, so... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think we should keep it. Letters from listeners. I love it. <laughs> Letters from listeners as opposed to mail time, which is what our uh, our Discord channel is called. It's is called, <laughs> which I'm looking at right now. Uh, Letters of, from listeners is a section from another podcast, which is probably why. Uh, okay. <laughs> To my head. I, I don't know if they got it trademarked or anything like that. So I mean mail time is trademarked my <laughs> <laughs> So this question comes from my girlfriend Becca. Shout out to Becca. Her question is for your D6s, do you prefer them to have pips or numbers to indicate the value? Alright, David, I'll let you answer this first. You know, I thought I was going to have a very definitive answer, and it's going to be pips. I prefer pips to numbers on my D6s, because I think it just looks classier. All the pips on the dice, and when you roll a handful of dice, I think it looks nice. Then I now just looked over at my uh, my dice set and realized what a mess that would be if my D8 had pips, or my D20 had pips. And I was like, oh yeah, I think those are fine with numbers. 
So I have no idea why I prefer pips for d6s, but it's fine for everything else to have num- fine for everything else to have numbers. So my opinion about d6s is quite simple. If I'm rolling a few of them, all about those pips. If I am rolling a lot of them, like whenever I upcast fireball and D&D, I'm rolling 8 plus D6s, and then I have to add up all those values. All about those numbers. <laughs> that was your D&D reference for the podcast. <laughs> Ooh. Let's start hiding them in. <laughs> <laughs> and I know this kind of goes against the design philosophy and the theme of the game, but I think that Sagrada would be better if the dice had numbers instead of pips. No. No. I I think the pips look prettier in Sagrada, but whenever I'm looking at my board, the number of times that I accidentally forget and put a five next to another five, because whenever you just have a bunch of dice (laughs) next to each other on Sagrada, because you're making this matrix of dice with colors, where color and number matters, you're making this, what is it, uh... Four by five. Four by five. Four by five. Mm-hmm. You're making this four by five matrix of dice where color and number matters. You know <laughs> that you might make a mistake. You know, you say that and I agree the pips look better. I'm not 100% convinced that it would help by having those numbers because those dice are all crammed together in that little grid. I think those numbers would coalesce still. But I do think that's an excellent example. That's a good... I want to test that. All right, Uh, scientists, get on it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I disagreed with you, but when I was playing Dominion, I have the upgraded starter cards that have a a, a picture of copper and then a picture of silver and then a picture of gold. And I didn't like it at first because I liked the original gold coin with a one, gold coin with a two, and a gold coin with a three. And how quickly did I change my mind when I said when I said discard a copper and I discarded a gold? Because I had come to rely so much on those pictures. I changed my mind. So it's something I need to try out. I'm sorry for jumping on you. It might be better. <laughs> the real question is, do you prefer your D4s with the numbers at the top or at the base? This is an RPG question. Oh, top. Most games, nah, I actually don't care. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> I want the numbers at the spot of the D4 that's going to hurt me when I step on it. All right, guys, blow up our socials. <laughs> at us. We got we to gotta get to the bottom of this. At, at, at us, guys. T- uh, top or base? What, where do you prefer your numbers for your D4s? <laughs> <laughs> well, this letters from listeners uh, got derailed pretty quick. <laughs> and with that derailing, it takes us to the end of another podcast. I've been your host, David. And this as is, always, I am Michael. <laughs> <laughs> this is not how we normally end a podcast. And as always, with very little confidence, I'm Michael. <laughs> <laughs> if you have any questions you'd like to, for us to answer, please email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com. Or you can send us a message on Discord using the link below, hopefully. Scott, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to do better. (laughs) We're trying to do better. (laughs) You can also follow us on Instagram using the link below. Same rules apply. (laughs) Same rules apply. (laughs) Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.